So we got to have like the most amazing display of shit lib on Twitter. <laughs> Better things aren't possible and you shouldn't wish for them because you will incur a huge tax liability. <sighs> is that about the but, gist of it? <laughs> yeah, more or less. This is here. Like, we'll just, you know, let the bot sound it off. And clip. Student loan debt forgiveness like has a multiplier close to zero. Forgiveness is taxable. If this negative cash flow effect outweighs interest savings would even be net negative. And wealth effect small in short run. Arbitrary slash regressive dollar one T for tilde dollar zero GDP. Not great idea. Uh, marking time. So yeah. And... You know, just so uh, y'all don't think we're just picking on random shit libs on the internet. Um, which can be a fun way to pass the time. Not gonna knock mm-hmm. it if that's your particular form of crack. But this guy, Jason Furman, is a professor of economics at Harvard. And had Larry Kudlow's job in the Barack Obama administration. So he was the chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. Oh, joy. I mean, I'm starting to... Yeah, I'm starting to understand why Obama just never did anything with the economy. (laughs) And, you know, like, we throw rocks at Larry a lot. Because, you know, he's fun to throw rocks at. Like, sometimes he dances. Um... Mm-hmm. But ultimately, he's like a stupid, washed-up pundit and probably got the job because Donald Trump was like, I've seen that guy on the TV. And that was probably the sum total of it. Whereas, like, this prick, Furman, actually has some brain cells to rub together that have not been fried by cocaine. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, he has sniffed deeply of ideology. Which is um, arguably worse. <laughs> um, and because of that, he's got this idea in his head that um, basically the whole Biden canceling student debt thing will be bad because it'll expose everyone to tax liability and so um, there's no point. It will be a net drain on the economy. And to be clear, like, that probably would be a problem. Um, the IRS, um, has appended tax liability to people for, um, clearing their, um, income-based repayment period. Um, and so obviously that's more than a bit worrying, but here's the thing. We can change that shit. These are fucking laws and regulations, you dumbass, Mr. Furman. This isn't like, 
we're talking about, like, chiseling out the Ten Commandments or something. Yeah, these are not immutable laws of the universe. They can be changed. This is entirely policy. These things can be changed. Um, and frankly, frankly, I think they should get rid of the tax liability for that kind of crap. And you know, like, throw in medical debt forgiveness too while we're at it. Oh yeah. But it's like, so their proposal was like, you know, 10k blankets, um, and then maybe uh, full forgiveness if you go to an HBCU or a public school, which would cover quite a few people. Um, most people who go to who go to school are going to public institutions. Uh, yeah. That doesn't help the the people who got rooked by the um, for profit scams, but it also doesn't help with that you have had this persistent like degree inflation bullshit going on both in the academy and the job market that has Mm -hmm. rendered state issued degrees like basically barely worth the paper they're printed on compared to like fucking ivy league bullshit um which is you know yeah mr Furman teaches at harvard the iviest of the ivies, so yeah. I mean, shows it's you how, like <laughs> shows you how useful that crap is. Um. Like your usefulness to society shouldn't be determined by whether your state school had a Division One football team, <laughs> um, which is like the other metric. Apparently, uh, if you didn't get into an ivy, did you get into a school with? a Division one, uh, 1 team, and it's like, fuck you. But, and just, the thing about Furman's logic here is, on some level, he clearly understands that debt forgiveness is popular, mm-hmm. and is good policy, because there's other countries like fucking France and Germany who don't load up their students with mountains of debt and they have, you know, much better levels of, you know, general welfare and happiness and social mobility and creation of new businesses and, you know, all those things that America is supposed to be good at, but actually sucks at horribly. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's like, this is fairly typical neoliberalism. Um, Everything must be in a market. Yeah, and they know that, you know, getting going away from this marketized shit would be good, but no, we can't have that, because stupid, legalistic, West Wing bullshit, the end. Because yeah. norms, fuck you. <sighs> so yeah, welcome to Chop Shop Economics. We read this shit so you don't have to. <sighs> So, well, I guess let's take it from the top. Um, so, welcome to our new format, by the way. Hope y'all like it. Uh, mm-hmm. We alluded to it last episode, but uh, this will be an experiment for us as well as you. Um, hopefully it works out. <laughs> if you don't like how it goes, then, you know, please hurl your comments with great force at the bots. Um, 
That's what they're there for. Yes. Uh, send email to Virgil, Texas. Uh. <laughs> so I guess it kicks us off with uh, the top econ news of the week. Mm-hmm. So, biggest one, Moderna has a COVID vaccine. Yeah. Uh, 95% um, effective, and unlike the Pfizer's, it is shelf-stable in a standard vaccine cabinet, um, which is which is a big deal, because the other one is not. Um, it requires special refrigeration, special transport because of that refrigeration. This thing will last a month in a standard um, in a standard freezer, which is what you want if you want to mass vaccinate the country. Which, so. you know, great news all around. It's as far as that goes. We now have two vaccines that look like they can work. And as something additional, by the way, that's come out about the Pfizer vaccine, the reason why Pfizer was even able to turn it around this quickly was because they sort of have been tinkering with a similar vaccine for something for like a similar strain for a while now, but there wasn't really any urgency until this year. So this isn't like the Russian crocodile serum. Like this may actually have science behind it. (laughs) Um, So yeah, um, that's, I mean, that's pretty good news. Um, It wasn't good for Zoom stock. Oh, definitely. Um, And um, meanwhile, um, Biden's COVID advisor has some actual policy recommendations. Um, Calling for a four to six week lockdown to... Mm -hmm break the back of the pandemic. Yeah. And in a stunning departure from what has been the current COVID policy, this lockdown would be accompanied um, with a stimulus package to basically cover lost wages and such. Um, At least in theory. Like, we all know especially if you've been following this show for a while, how much traction COVID stimulus has had in this country since May. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is fucking pathetic. Um, like this, he's not wrong. Is the thing, but this is worked in everywhere. It's been tried. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, you see all these pictures um, and video from, like, China, Taiwan, and such, and and they've moved on. Like, they're, um, hell, the Troll Boys were talking about this um, on one of the last episodes. They were like, you know, they they now think in terms of, like, post-COVID. Which is just like, wow. You can you can do that. 
I mean, it's worth pointing out, when news of this came out, there were, like, Wall Street realheads who were promptly screaming that this will, like, knock 4,000 points off the Dow, and, like, cats and dogs will be mating in the streets as the sky falls. But, you know, that's what Wall Street says about anything that faintly looks like it's one degree to the left of, like, literally the purge. Yeah, and it's like that's that's what's basically needed to resolve this crisis. But the problem is, is of course, um, as a formal recommendation to the Biden administration, he hasn't actually proposed it. He's just said that this is what we need to do, um, which is incredibly frustrating and let's remember that biden refused to commit to a lockdown during the debates in fact he pointedly said we can get the virus under control without shutting down the economy which is like yeah good fucking luck there yeah i mean it took between you know the government response and a level of mutual aid that frankly doesn't exist here. That's that's how China, that's how Vietnam, that's how a lot of these countries got through with it and can now deal with other things. Like, Taiwan with, did all the things that this guy is proposing and they are back to having outdoor concerts. Like, pre-COVID concerts. Yes. And... Instead, instead, like, you know, the the fucking healthcare system is getting overrun. Um, And we basically told, you know, we've told retail workers just drop dead. Um, This is... All you're good for is marching into the killing fields and dying for boomers. Yeah, and it's gone swimmingly. (laughs) And, I mean, we're only at what? Sneaking up on 250,000 deaths in the U.S.? Oh, we're past that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) totally on track to, like, break 400,000 by the end of December. At yeah, the rate things are going. The overall death rate so far has been around two point two percent. If you extrapolate that to like the actual population we have, like everyone gets infected once, um, you're looking at more like seven and a half million deaths. And long before that point, the healthcare system were broken down, so that would start becoming optimistic. The Santelli solution, in other words. Yeah. Never yeah. never let that bastard live this down, by the way. He was the guy who said, let's do a holocaust for capitalism when this started. Yes. And somehow still has a job. <sighs> Uh, Meanwhile, 
Meanwhile, speaking of China, (laughs) this is probably actually one of the biggest stories that's like come across our proverbial desk in this entire year. Like this is up there with COVID and the election and the death of oil. Oh yeah, probably bigger actually. (laughs) So, um, I don't, I don't fully understand this. So. What the fuck? So on November 15th, 2020, the Washington consensus died painfully as China completed and finalized a trade pact with their neighbors called RCEP. And the RCEP, which stands for Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, includes the 10-nation Association of Southeast Asian Nations uh, group, Japan, South Korea, Australia, and New Zealand, while explicitly closing out the United States. So basically, everybody that the Obama administration wanted to get in on the Trans-Pacific Pact, minus the U.S., Mm -hmm. including four of America's most significant client states in the Pacific Rim are now firmly in China's economic orbit. Um, Like, this is the largest free trade agreement on the planet as of now. It includes things for, um, like, eliminating trade barriers, eliminating tariffs. Like, it's not quite EU levels of trade synchronization, but uh-huh. it's definitely on track for that, and it's certainly more comprehensive than NAFTA or whatever the hell it's called after Trump rebranded it and left it alone. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, I didn't think that TPP was a good idea in the first place, mostly because it was, uh Mostly because it was about bending um, American workers over so that the oligarchs could get like a couple percentage points more profit every year. But (laughs) I didn't expect things to go down like this. (laughs) And, And it's not like this is any better for anyone in like the glorious like Chinese co prosperity sphere. Um, mm hmm. Like this is probably like this is probably going to be one of those things that's used to cement Chinese economic hegemony over the Asia Pacific region. Um, but and we'll get into this a lot more when we get to our last word, our new closing segment. Um, but yeah. the short version is: this is the U.S. being shut out of. East Asia and the Pacific using the same tools that it's been employing to pry open markets for the last 20 years. This is the largest trade pact on the planet has left the United States by the curbside. Yeah. And it's probably worth noting that obviously Trump did not participate in this. Um... And Biden, Biden is probably not going to do it simply because the only reason he 
was legitimately elected to the presidency is, quite frankly, because he abandoned TPP. Um, he did not talk of renewing it. He kind of pushed back on that. And the voters rewarded him. Um, they also rewarded him for not being Trump, but... Being capable of not drooling in public is a positive in presidents, mm-hmm. I found. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, he's not going to go back on that because he's not that kind of person. And he also can't anyway. Like, this has been set up by the People's Republic of China as China's new toy. And Oh yeah, I mean, this is... Defeats the purpose. (laughs) (laughs) This would probably be... If they were to let America in, it would probably be um, in a subordinate relationship, if you will. Where China dictates the terms. (laughs) Exactly. Like, this is really... It's... Like, it cannot be understated or even, like, overstated how much this is a huge shift in the global economic balance of power. This is... It. The U.S. has been shut out of a vital and growing market out of the region of the world that has probably weathered COVID the most effectively, excluding Africa. This is it. America's economic dominance is over. Yeah. Like, it's all over but the crying at this point. Like... Yeah, I don't I don't think that, you know, it's uh, how to put this. It's obviously it's not like, you know, the American Empire is gonna be erased overnight, but it's like come on <laughs> We really are the sick man. This of is the, the world. economic equivalent of getting turned back from the gates of Vienna. Yeah. And it's like the best part is is our American Kerensky, and I know y'all hate that term, um, he can't do anything about it. <laughs> yeah, he fucked. And we'll, and we'll hash this out a bit more later, but, you know, short version is this is probably the biggest economic news of the week. Like, mark that down. November 15th, 2020. American Empire died. Yeah. And that brings us to labor and direct action and all that cool shit in the street that we know you love talking about. Oh, yeah. So... Okay, um, which one should we go for first? <laughs> How about the not million maggot march? Oh god, that fucking thing. So like, that's a bit less squirrely than the other <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so about 10,000 
the MAGA activists and such descended upon Washington, D.C. on, it was Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And they basically, they went ham. Um, um, and, you know, they, when they couldn't find anti-fascists to pick fights with, they picked fights with each other and rampaged around and smashed up windows and did all those things that pisses off Fox News, except when you're wearing a red hat. Um. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, this is... The thing about it is, is, like, this is somewhere where we didn't really have the numbers to counter them. Um, which is possible. Um... Maybe we could have mobilized enough people, but we didn't. And by now we've all kinda we all kinda know what it looks like when they get to run around unchecked. They they just do whatever they want. They they stab people, they terrorize pastors by, they burn things. All um, things that Fox says Black Lives Matter does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not a single riot cop such... <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like, I'm sure that at some point they could have probably provoked the cops into going full ham crackdown on them, but not really. Well, it's, and, not like, it's like, not like the cops are going to shoot at their fellow officers when they're out in their weekend wear. I mean, come on. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, and uh, I can't believe four people got picked up on firearms charges. Like, Don't y'all know that, uh, the law there? Like how ridiculously stacked against you it is? Like, you only bitch about it every fucking day. <laughs> um, and it's like, you know, they arrested like 21 people, which is more than I expected, to be honest. Um, and a couple of those for, were for like, you know, blatant contempt of cop. Um, which, how the fuck do you do that as a maggot is... Yeah! How? What What were they doing? <laughs> like, I mean, blatant of te- like, blatant contempt of cop if you're doing any kind of, you know, actually useful for society direct action is you look at them for longer than two seconds, and that's contempt of cop. But, you know, if you've got a red hat on, then... Fucking hell, what even counts as contempt of cop at that point? Um, I don't know, maybe they struck in an undercover or something? Um, you know, one of those, like, obviously fake Antifa types, where, you know, they're, they're still wearing, like, all, you know, cop duds, but... Because they do not know how to dress like normal people or black block. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you hit a couple of those. <laughs> but yeah. That's what we got. It's, you know, remember, every time that you're wondering why the cops are doing what they do, just look what happened in D.C. this past weekend, and there's your answer. Yeah. They like their disorganized auxiliary just fine. And the Biden administration doesn't look like they're going to actually do anything substantive about that. Yeah. I mean, I'm of two minds to that. I don't... (laughs) But it's like... I don't see how. Um, Like, you know, he really wants the law and order people on his side and he wants all this unity crap and that's really not very effective when you're trying to dismantle fascism through the state um which can be quite a fool's errand anyway but this really doesn't help (laughs) you know like, at least the French tried to do that in the 30s. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Didn't so, go far enough, but, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, that's the million maggot march that, you know, if you round up a lot, hit a million. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You just need to tack on, like, a couple zeros. No big deal. Um, you know. Swap in some, like, old inauguration pictures and pretend they were yours. Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, but we didn't do anything that, like, the scary BLM types did. And it's like, fuck you. Well, they wouldn't know how. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's be real. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Like, Like, what they did is what they think scary BLM types do. Mm Because their actual, like, capacity for understanding this thing called political action that doesn't involve ranting on your nephew's Twitter thread is, you know, not very developed. Posting is praxis, but for the right. On to something actually substantive when it comes to labor news. Oh, yeah. Um, So apparently the ILA disaffiliated with the AFL-CIO. And this one is the International Longshoremen's Association. Not the same as the uh, International Longshore and Warehouse Union, which is the badass left coast... Uh, lefty union that shut down the ports um, in solidarity with Black Lives Matter and is generally all around awesome. This is the Longshore Union for the East Coast, the Great Lakes, and uh, the Gulf of Mexico. Uh-huh. And they're the ones who usually show up in movies being like cat's paws for the mafia or something. Mm-hmm. So, basically, what happened was 
an affiliate union of the ILA um, tried to break away from the ILA itself. The um, International Organization of Masters made some pilots. Um, and they tried to get recognized as a separate union with their own charter under the AFL-CIO. Um, the AFL-CIO was supposed to consult with the NLA before taking any sort of unilateral action, and then they went back on that and recognized them anyway. So... It is kind of... Oh, wow. Yeah, um, this, this is pretty, <laughs> like... And this is, you know, to be expected that the AFL would pull this shit, because they've always been all about the whole really stupid, useless craft union approach to organizing. Um, mm-hmm. And what better way to continue the most useless model of labor organizing than to break up an actually semi-useful union... And water it down. Um. Yeah. And it's like, the ILA, they basically want to take over the docks. Um, and do what the ILWU has been doing. <laughs> successfully. Yeah. Like, this is, this is how you do an actual fucking trade union. You don't just, like, fart around with Oh, these people have this job title, therefore they're, they belong in this union, and we organize on that basis, um, which leaves you pretty vulnerable, because then they the bosses can basically just play one faction off of another um, I, very I easily. Will, I will firmly stand the, the fact that American educational labor organizing operates entirely on that supremely broke dick model of faculty in one union, uh, non-faculty, non-managerial workers in a different union, and students are just sort of told to wait out in the hall and figure it out, um, is a significant factor in why the shit libs have been able to do a number on education. Yeah, and it's, frankly, it's a large part of why, um, like, you know, grad worker struggles and such get such, why they're probably weaker than they should be, to be quite honest. Well, and that's why the, like, as, as just to really emphasize how supremely broke dick the situation is, why graduate TAs are not being organized under the United Education Association or the American Federation of Teachers or, you know, any other, like, you know, relevant union, as one would think, but under the United Auto Workers. Like, and that's largely because the, yeah, and that's because the UAW went, yeah, we'll fucking organize you. That sounds awesome. Um. We'll totally organize workers while the AFT is sitting around going, but they're not actually faculty. And, you know, this is the same AFT that has not gone anywhere near a tenth of a mile on adjuncts, which is its own brand of fuckery. But, yeah. 
So yeah, this is the ILA very intelligently telling the AFL-CIO to take a long walk off a short pier for doing a thing mm-hmm. that hurts industrial organizing. Good on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess that gets us to the wonderful wild world of finance and banking. <laughs> Yeah, we picked that sound deliberately. It was the best thing we could get. (laughs) To be fair, that actually is kind of mean to the casino industry. Casinos are actually required to back every chip on the floor with an actual physical dollar in the vault. Yeah. And, like, like, this is not us being like, we don't understand fractional reserve banking. Um. <laughs> we just think the way it's practiced is really goddamn stupid. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you would also get a better return on your money by sitting at a roulette wheel than investing in any hedge fund. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, um, what happened this week? Well, we got two that are pretty big. The first one is the European Union has officially, like, stated that they're not making a decision on whether or not the City of London, which is the center of finance for the United Kingdom and probably one of the biggest banking centers on the planet that's not the Cayman Islands or Singapore or Wall Street, um, that... They will probably not be giving them any kind of special exemptions post Brexit. Yeah. Um, so basically, what happened was the UK granted EU institutions um, something called an equivalence decision, which basically they're saying that, like, the EU's regulations are as good as ours. Um, that's it, good enough that you EU's can... The EU's regulations are probably, like, better. Because <laughs> they actually <laughs> occasionally go, Hey, banker, that's really goddamn stupid. Stop playing with those matches. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, this is, this is kind of like a basic legal requirement to um, get anything done without the sort of you know, foreign exchange fuckery that's involved in not having these. Um, it makes it makes things frictionless, and that's really important if, you know, the city of London is to stay in the game. But Brussels basically told them, no, we're not sure if, yours, if your regs are as good as ours. <laughs> Um, justifiably so (laughs) and like we're only willing to stipulate that if that's in our interests and we're not sure if that's in our interests (laughs) especially because this is like this part of a larger backdrop that and this was something that was speculated by a lot of folks that were making the 
actually reasonable case for Remain and not the stupid Blairite case for Remain. Um, that one of the reasons why Theresa May was going so fucking ham on honoring the crash out of the EU thing was because, you know, if there had been an extension, (laughs) then the UK would have been forced to comply with new EU regulations that are designed to crack down on tax cheats. And tax cheats and tax dodging is like half of the city of London's business. Like tax dodging (laughs) is such a pervasive thing in British banking that even the Royal family dodges the taxes that are used to pay for their estates. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) So, you know, there, I think there is like, you know, this is part of the broader backdrop of why the EU is kind of looking at the city of London and going, yeah, we call bullshit because the EU is like, I mean, they're not quite going as ham as I would like when it comes to cracking down on tax cheats and shit. Because, you know, hey, making rich people actually pay their fair share is okay with me. Um, I mean, yeah. I'd personally be advocating a, like, 100% tax rate, but, you know, that's just me. <laughs> um, yeah. We're just going to take all of it. You keep your house and your toothbrush. We're going to take the rest. Um, but... <laughs> this is part of that broader kind of mess that the city of London is looking a lot less like a reasonable business partner to the EU authorities and a lot more like a fucking offshore banking center that exists to hide people's money yeah and And they're calling bullshit yeah and this is this is why uh, this is partly why I've kind of been more or less on the Remain side, if only because, like, this was just a spectacular self-own, and if... Basically, if the UK had been like, no, actually, this is stupid, we're going back on this... Like, yeah, it's fundamentally anti-democratic and all that nonsense, but it would limit the UK's exposure to being disciplined by the EU. And participating in this EU policy would have made bankers cry. Yeah. And I'm, like, always for making bankers cry. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's now the UK has no say. They are only subject to EU discipline. They have no say. Great going! Now the EU can't be as, you know, go to the level that they would have actually needed to to crack down on fucking tax cheating in the city of London. So this Mm -hmm. pretty much guarantees the only thing that's going to be left that is pretending to be economically productive in the UK is going to be those banks that are hiding, like, Mr. Bonesaw's money. Mm-hmm. And, well, it's... <laughs> it's just completely fucked. Like, they... Basically, it's like, 
they don't want to make a decision on this because the UK is dragging its feet on, like, everything else. And so it's like, no, why why would we agree to anything if you're not going to talk to us? Um, yeah. And present us with, like, you know, a reasonable a plan for how you're going to do all this stuff. I mean, it's just... Yeah. This is amazing. It, it's going to be, yeah, the UK is about to become the world's largest tax shelter for about five minutes. Then the Kingdom of England will be the world's largest tax shelter as the United Republic of Celtic Nations becomes the EU's newest member. Grandfathered in under the Republic of Ireland. <laughs> uh, it is just... It's so fucked. <laughs> On the other side uh, of the coin, we got some actual news about who Biden's <laughs> regulatory transition team is, which, you know could be said to reliably foreshadow what his cabinet and executive appointments will look like as we saw with Obama where he ditched all of his like vaguely left of center advisors the moment he got elected in favor of a bunch of fucking Wall Street ghouls um, which actually yeah. kind of brings us to these guys because most of these pricks are holdovers from the Obama years yeah um, why mess of success which, you know, like, they're promising they're going to roll back the really stupid deregulations that Trump did. But, mm. you know, that that sound, that's a lot less impressive than it sounds when you take into account that the regulations Trump got rid of were less, this is a thing that's going to stop banks from doing stupid shit, and more like, okay, bankers, you need to actually have seatbelts in your car. Your airbags need to actually inflate when you collide with the guardrails of the market, as you are prone to do. And yep. maybe we'll make you blow a breathalyzer before you start your car. You mm -hmm. know. And these are, remember, the same people who jailed a grand total of how many bad actors that were related to the 2008 disaster again? Um, I think, I want to say two. Two people. Like, one of them was that off because he, Yeah. <laughs> yes, because he, he took rich people's money and lost it, and that can't be abided. And I don't think this guy was exposed in the U.S. Um... I oh, want to yeah, see some random Swiss banker who hid some s relatively small potatoes money during the Great Derivatives meltdown. Oh yeah, he hid something like, you know, $2 billion or something worth of derivatives, which is like a fucking rounding error on a balance sheet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's like, well, we got it for somebody overboard. Like, fucking... Fucking Iceland did more. And that wasn't even, like, the Obama administration who got that guy. That was the European Union. Mm -hmm. So, 
Yeah, this is the cop that's going to be watching Wall Street now. Is they're bringing back the same bunch who mostly went, all right, sir, I know that you have, like, spectacularly exploded every single vehicle you get behind the wheel of, so this time we're going to, like, make you do a driving test first. Mm-hmm. Instead of, you know, doing the same thing of... I'm sorry, why should you be allowed to run anything more complicated than a light switch? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like, I'm sure there's going to be like shit libs and West Wing brains and all the usual <laughs> suspects who are and already have been crowing about this going, look, most progressive administration since FDR. It's like, motherfucker, FDR had the Pecora Commission, which was basically... The fucking Court of Star Chamber had a baby with the Inquisition and proceeded to go ham on Wall Street. And the result was Glass-Steagall, which stopped banks from fucking around for a really long time. Like, made it about, like, what, 40 years, I think? So, you know, most progressive, my fucking ass. Um, (laughs) And it's like, they're basically rolling back really dumb stuff like why would you allow private equity investments in 401k retirement plans the labor department allowed it uh this um this cycle but like why and so they're like well yeah obviously we're gonna get rid of that but when you start looking at are they gonna do anything about the whole everything is fraud thing? No. Probably not. Too big to fail. That was Obama's policy, people. Remember that. <laughs> yeah. You want to know why Wall Street got away? Because <laughs> they went, fuck <laughs> it. It's going to be too much goddamn work to untangle the mess in 2008 when it would have been manageable. Compared yeah. to now. And now they really are too big to fail. Simply because if one of these banks shits themselves now, game over. We tip over the abyss because the only thing these fucking, these fucking ghouls understand is austerity. It's like you can't austerity your way out of this. It doesn't work that way. Not unless you really want to go whole hog on the Citibank plutonomy model of Mm -hmm. we will maintain economic growth purely by servicing the wants and desires of the rich and letting the poor starve. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's that's a pretty good way to lose your head. Eventually. Eventually. Good God. Speaking of losing heads. <laughs> ah. We got all the best coming in on energy, climate. <sighs> Starting with petroleum giant Sitco. Who has just announced that they will be halting 
their contributions to their employee 401k plans, and their workers should be expecting pay cuts. Yep. And so basically they're like, well, you know, there's been a loss in demand. The refining industry has been severely affected by the pandemic. That was their big message to their employees. Um, 10% reduction in salary. Good God. Um, so it's like, if you're, uh, if you were making six figures, you get cut by like 10%. If you made between 50 and 100K, you get cut on a sliding scale between 1% up to 10? Jesus. This is like what a company that is furiously rearranging the deck chairs in the Titanic looks like. Yeah. And they're also claiming no bonuses will be paid. Um, I'm not sure if I believe that. I mean, I believe that from like the rank and file um, in middle management. Um, I suspect the C-suite and executives just below them. They'll probably be taking bonuses. Oh, they always are. Like, <laughs> and, and it's worth emphasizing that this is not happening because Sitgo uniquely shat the bed. This has been, for anyone who's been following this podcast for a while now, a consistent thing that's been coming out of the oil industry since COVID hit. Is we've been seeing just falling like dominoes all over the place. Like, the biggest ones being ExxonMobil getting dropped off the Dow Jones Industrial Average for the first time fucking ever since 1928. And Shell oil divesting from oil and gas as like some of the biggest exclamation points on this long messy and ugly death of the oil industry of the coal industry of just fossil fuels as a sector like yeah in retrospect it makes sense why it happened but at the time as it was happening that shit was... This is like a total black swan. Yeah. It is um, probably important to note here that... Well, one, they are technically uh, majority-owned by um, a Venezuelan state-owned company, though they don't benefit from it because sanctions um and the other thing is that they're exclusively on the refining end they're not exposed to um the complete collapse in um extraction capacity but that's still a problem obviously for them Oh my god. It's, yeah. (laughs) This is not unique. This is not unusual for this industry at this point. They're all fucking dropping dead, and just as renewables are getting cheaper than ever. Yeah. Oil ain't coming back. 
Like, I mean, I don't know that this is, like, the death knell for Sitgo in particular. Um, like I said, their exposure is not to the extraction end of things, where you're just basically fucked no matter what. If your only exposure is on the refining side, then, you know, maybe you have a chance. Exactly. For, like, for like you know, another decade or two, maybe. Um, but, like, a lot of the companies <laughs> that just completely ate shit and died were on the extraction end of things, or were exposed on both ends. And, yeah. You'll have to see it. <laughs> yeah. This is... Yeah. And it's going to keep happening. This is not going to mm-hmm. slow down. So, you know, if you still have money in this sector, get the hell out. Yeah. While you still can. Just um... do it. <laughs> like, anyone who's telling you that there's going to be a recovery in this, like, sector of the economy is really, really high. Or they are trying to fucking rob you. Yeah. And meanwhile, um, away from Houston and into California, PG&E. Jesus, fuck. So they did another round of blackouts to prevent from causing more wildfires because the PG&E's, like, maintenance of their power lines is so abysmally bad that high winds caused one of the most destructive wildfires in California history. Mm-hmm. Good job, guys. Um, but everyone at the top keeps getting their fat bonuses for some reason. Um, and well, you can't ter- cut bonuses to pay for the towers. I mean, why Why would the towers be need to be maintained? Like, that's not their core business competency. Clearly not. <laughs> I, I'm actually not quite sure what their core business competency is, because at this point, I wouldn't trust them with anything more dangerous than, like... I don't... Actually, I'm not sure what I could trust them with at this point. <laughs> they clearly can't handle light switches. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, apparently they... Did not give proper notification. Um, the blackouts affected predominantly lower-income areas. What a fucking surprise. Um, food banks reported running out of food because people's food spoiled in their fridges, so they had to go to the food bank. Um, all kinds of just absolute fuckery that's been coming out from the latest round of why the hell is PG&E a private corporation? <laughs> yeah. Um, like, for example, one of the things that came up in this article we're pulling from is that the utility focused its work trimming trees and vegetation from around power lines in areas of lower fire danger rather than those at greater risk. Um Mark Phillips' conclusion in that report was that PG&E's priority had been to meet its targets for vegetation management 
rather than meaningfully reducing fire danger. Uh, so what that means in layman's terms is basically they didn't bother going into the wildfire areas and, you know, cutting the dangerous trees. They just left them there and, um, you know, picked the easier tasks. Because it's, you know, policy-based evidence. Totally. <laughs> Like they they wanted to meet this metric, um, but they don't want to do anything that might implicate them in doing something about their fire safety risk. Because <laughs> I guess you know, fuck you, California. I don't know, because that would expose them to yet another lawsuit. Like, these fuckers have been sued more times than Donald Trump. Yeah. Like, they said that this year they'd be climbing nearly a thousand um, at-risk transmission towers. None of that work had been done by late August. Um, There might have been something that happened in late August that... um, might be of interest here, but I I don't quite recall what it is. Could you remind me? <laughs> I, I think the sun disappeared for a couple days there. Something like that. I don't know. Like it, it things went a little Mad Max for a minute there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The light of the false sun. Oh God. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. yeah. So we got PG and E over here, like making a very long, coherent, and eloquent argument for why you can't trust some things to the marketplace. You can't trust anything to the marketplace. You gotta, de- yeah. com- <laughs> you gotta decommoditize power delivery. I'm, I'm sorry, but this is this is just blatantly unacceptable. Yeah, the, this is a nat- this is what's called a natural monopoly, and natural monopolies are usually like the uh, textbook argument for why some things need to stay in the public sector. Yeah, and some people are like, "Well, they don't need to be because free market or the state won't do any better." Or it's like it's hard to do worse than this. Seriously. Like, I, I don't have the numbers offhand, but I'm pretty sure, and granted, climate change is a factor here, but I'm, like, 99% certain that you could probably, like, show an increase in incidences of wildfires due to shitty maintenance uh, kicking off about the same time as when California went shit-lib and deregulated electricity. Mm. Probably. I mean, yeah, nothing I mean, like Enron is <laughs> happening alongside that, you know. Total coincidence there. Yeah, like, this is ever since, you know, the Enron debacle and all that stuff, it's like it's made an already unsustainable problem much worse because now there are, like, actual consequences if this maintenance isn't done in a timely manner. Like, everything fucking burns. But capitalism's efficient at burning shit. 
Mm-hmm. Like, it's <sighs> very good at burning your house down so that somebody else makes money. Mm-hmm. Look, it's very important that the executives of PG&E are paid their bonuses. Um, we pay them out of the maintenance budget. Uh, because we need to maintain our executives. Because how else are we going to attract the best talent in the industry? Mm-hmm. Like, arsonists don't just grow on trees, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... <sighs> they gotta compete with the mafia and insurance scams. So, you know. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but it's just oh god damn it yeah this is like and this has been a conversation that's been going on for a while in california since the last round and the round before that and the round before that of wildfires of maybe we shouldn't be trusting this to a handful of totally incompetent private utilities yeah it's what what else is there left to do but nationalize this fucking thing? Because clearly, clearly, they cannot be trusted with this. It's just... (laughs) In before some absolute free market real ahead starts ranting at us on Twitter about market efficiencies. Yeah, shut the fuck up. The only thing the market is efficient at in this case is blotting out the sun. Yeah. Yeah. This is amazing. It's amazing. I mean, I guess that, if nothing else, that does answer the question of what caused the backstory of the Matrix. Fucking capitalism. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yep. Fucking capitalism. So, yeah, I think I hear a whistle blowing coming down the tracks. <laughs> ah. It's trade and logistics. So, so, the volume of global trade is apparently recovering from the COVID-19 dive. Um, I mean, that might shock some of you who live in the West and are first exposed to our government's incompetence. Um, but... We are not everywhere. And so, basically, um, like, things have definitely shifted. Um, Like, air freight got nailed in the teeth. Oh, yeah. Um, But meanwhile, we've got, you know, trucking mostly managed to make it through more or less intact and it's back to previous levels um 
seaborne freight um we can see at like the port of los angeles in third quarter 2020 announced an all-time record in terms of how many like uh 20 foot equivalent units you know the big containers that you see on the back of trucks and trains and ships and stuff um like all-time high ever um Mm -hmm. so you know bulk dry goods movement is rebounding yeah that makes sense yeah (laughs) it's just yeah and we can expect that you know this even though we're probably in for another lockdown pretty soon. I mean, France and Germany and Italy are already there and the UK is warming up for what may be a whole ass lockdown instead of a half assed one. Um, but by this point, the greatest damage, namely an air freight's already been done. Yeah. Uh, it's, it is usual. Um, I know we hammer this a lot, but it's like, what a lot of them are saying is <laughs> they need stimulus to keep this going. Um, keep, <laughs> you know, to cut down on the risk of short-term um, stagnation and contraction. Um and short term is like, you know, next quarter, next two quarters. Um, and obviously, you know, we're pissing away the entire fourth quarter with, you know, Trump being a complete baby in the lame duck and McConnell being the party of no. Because the stimulus Fuck isn't important when it's not getting Trump reelected. It it wasn't even important when it could have gotten Trump reelected. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most pathetic thing, isn't it? <sighs> like you know, he just like McConnell fucked him. <laughs> Not, I mean, it was so close. You know, I mean, I think that like if Trump had managed to get through a package at the 11th hour, he might have actually legitimately won. It, it wouldn't be, you know, a surefire thing, but an actual fucking stimulus package might, might prove to enough voters that, okay, yeah, this guy can stay in there four years. So that's, you know, (laughs) and since the stimulus doesn't seem to be happening anytime soon, because Mitch McConnell is a fucking prick, um, and the Democratic Party still has people like Joe Manchin who worship at the altar of austerity so unreservedly that they'll throw their own children on there to make the market gods happy. Yeah. And it's like... There is a lot of, um, like, there is a pretty big shift in how um, freight is being organized on the back end. But overall, it's like, you know, the, they'll be fine, basically. 
they'll probably be fine as long as you know the economy uh, doesn't you know completely fall apart again <laughs> again um and we'll probably continue to see and this actually kind of segues nicely to the other half of this segment um <sighs> a continued shift towards diversified supply chains because that's something that's been slowly starting to happen as we've seen because as we've seen with general motors there is significant market pressure to get away from our globalized highly fragile supply chain system yeah um basically they were uh, what happened was they were um, they canceled production at their SUV plant and the Corvette plant because, well, they don't have the materials. And, and like, these are temporary shutdowns, but it's like, it's kind of emblematic of the fact that they're, the supply chain disruptions they still haven't gone away. And, like, they were, um, GM was already trying to get, you know, its production numbers up because of the vehicle shortages, um, earlier in the year. Um, so they're trying to, you know, get inventory out, and, well, the supply chain is not cooperating. Um, and... that's what happens when you get away from the Fordist model of uh, this end goes raw materials, out this end comes completed cars, and everything's integrated yeah. into a single production facility or a series of closely connected production facilities, and instead go, actually, yeah, we're going to outsource everything to like China and Japan and Taiwan, because nothing could possibly go wrong with a supply chain that stretches across like 6,000 miles. Oh, oh, well, that's not even GM's problem here. Um, GM's problem in this case is stemming from their um, Mexican plants, um, which aren't able to comply with the COVID-19 restrictions and policies that uh, GM Corporate has set. Um, that's already slowing down production at the final assembly plants and component production plants in the States, but it's also having knock-on effects in Mexico, especially since a couple of the states where their plants um, are sited are in lockdown right now. So... If you're dependent on those sub-assemblies, um, they're not coming for a while, because the factory is shut down. Oh well. <laughs> <sighs> That's globalization for you. Mm-hmm. So we're probably still going to see this trend. these trends continue, just don't expect that they're going to immediately mean you get your nice union job back in any town USA. Or, oh yeah, you know, yeah. No, God. <laughs> That's not happening. Like, onshoring is an excuse to diversify sources of supply and to increase supply security without actually raising cost. Yeah, yeah. 
what they want is uh, redundancy in their non-unionized working force. They don't. They don't want to give you your job back. Fuck. They don't want to give your dad's job back either. <laughs> it was never coming back. No one was ever going to bring it back. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Nothing will finally change. Exactly. Fast <laughs> Jason Furman. So, our last word then? Yep. So. <laughs> welcome to the new multipolar world, everybody. Ooh. This is, like... We I expected a bigger bang from this, to be honest. <laughs> but... Yeah, this is where we're at. Between mm-hmm. the uh, absolute eating shit and dying that the U.S. has sustained from COVID to uh, the what we're seeing coming down the pike with the new uh, Chinese trade pact... Mm-hmm. and the wreck that's going to be Brexit and the European Union coming closer together while the African Union continues to become more functional, the U.S. is no longer and will not be the global economic power player that it once was. Yeah. I mean, it's it's over. Like, maybe this could have been avoided if a stimulus was passed in, like, May. Probably. And to be honest, there probably would have needed to be one done in, like, September or August. Um, we would need a, at least a couple of more rounds of stimulus up to and including right now. Right now, we should be on, like, you know... Yet another round of stimulus bills being taken up and argued for and passed without much fanfare. Uh, you know, except for Trump being like, hey, we got you guys a really great deal. Um, this is why I, I'm so glad to be, you know, your president for the next four years and all that shit. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Um, Washington basically told you you're going into the killing fields, you're marching to your deaths, um, but don't go home for Thanksgiving. Fuck you. Mm -hmm. This is all part of, and even if these stimuli had been passed, it still wouldn't have fixed the fact that the U.S., since the end of World War II, really, was running on borrowed time. Oh, yeah. And instead of recognizing this and taking steps to truly cement American dominance, uh, policymakers just sort of, you know, went with it. And, I mean, granted, they did some things that were actually, like, pretty good uses of money, but uh, since then, I've just sort of coasted on having a preeminent position without stopping to go, well, wait, why did this happen? Oh, because 
every other industrialized country on the planet just got bombed flat or invaded by somebody else. And we have a widespread affluent consumer class that can afford to buy our goods in sufficient volume to keep everyone prosperous. And, oh, we also have a strong labor movement and are actually taxing rich people. And things functional countries do. <laughs> and now all of that is gone. I mean, hell, they threw away the one candidate who promised a safe landing for the American Empire. So, I mean, if between Trump and Biden, I'm not sure who's going to be more responsible for the death of the American Empire. Um, I don't think anyone could have fixed that problem. I definitely wouldn't say that, like... Like, Obama got things on a glide path for a minute there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like, ultimately, I mean, even if we had the most brilliant politician out there... And whatever you think of Biden, a positive or negative, he is not the sharpest tool in the shed anymore. I'm sorry, but it's true. Um, anyone would be helpless before this crisis. It's just, it's too much. The rot is just too deep. Um, Especially when your proposals for dealing with the rot are hey, we'll get rid of like $10,000 off your student loan, which is basically not even a year's worth of payments. Yeah, and, you know, there's like the chance that even that 10 k you'll get taxed on. I guess I want a... <laughs> I want a $20,000 tax bill on an income of zero. And it wouldn't you know, matter much anyway once you throw interest back in there. Mm-hmm. So, like, when he's coming in to fight this wildfire with a fucking water pistol. <laughs> I this mean, is, it's... This is it. It's over for the American Empire. It's over for America's role as the dominant power on Earth. Um... Any, like, shit-libs listening who are still getting fantasies of American leadership on the global stage, just stop. It's not coming back. Most, at, like, absolute most, we would have to ally with a block to ever regain a position in the game. Uh, in this game. It's And we'd it's also over. have to and we'd also have to do something like purge the Republican Party from power. Like, full-on fucking Red Scare, run them out on a rail levels of purge. Because no one is going to trust the United States when one half of the political class has made it abundantly clear that their entire policy is based on fuck the other half. And cancel you, whatever God. the other half does. Yeah. 
like four years of Trump reversing every single thing Obama did in foreign policy sent a message to the world. And that was you cannot trust the United States to keep their word. Like they thought after the Obama reset that maybe that all the fuckery that Bush did would not be repeating itself. And now this time around, like the EU and everybody else is like, well, you know, we're happy to see the United States is rejoining the family of nations, but don't have any illusions about being invited to the big boy table. (laughs) Not anymore. Uh... Not until you can actually, you know, put your pants on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's over, and frankly, I don't know. America, so, the uh, being in the American Empire actually kind of sucks. <laughs> they don't, what this means economically is, you know, on one hand, that means sooner or later the dollar's going to eat shit and die, and that's going to take Wall Street down the drain with it. Mm-hmm. And... However, on the plus side, it also means if you want to actually do a socialism and say the S-word out loud, you probably won't get bombed or CIA'd. Yeah. I mean, they'll probably try it for old time's sake, but it'll be two guys who get cut down by the embassy staff. Or, Or they might even manage to pull a Bolivia and throw the popularly elected left-wing government out of power long enough for the next elections to promptly return that same government. (laughs) Worst coup ever. (laughs) Yeah. Embarrassing. It was simply embarrassing. I mean... How the mighty have fallen. It's kind of amazing, actually. (laughs) Like, we would have thought that the decline of the American Empire would have taken longer than this, but here you are. Here you are. And that means American dominance in economic affairs? Gone. Yeah. Which also means that the whole Washington consensus of enforced neoliberalism at gunpoint or debt point, if necessary is now on very shaky ground. Yeah. I mean, they... They're... uh, I made the point on Discord that, you know, if anything, Biden is more fucked than Kerensky was, in that Kerensky had all the tools he needed to make everything work. It's not like... Like, it's not like his faction couldn't have won out. Um, It's just... He chose poorly. And with Biden, it's like... He's gonna choose poorly, but... He... He also doesn't have any real room to maneuver. Like, at least Kerensky had the get-out-of-jail-free card called proposing an armistice with Germany and telling the rest of the Entente to piss up a rope. Yeah. He could have just done that, and 
I don't know that he would have lasted, like, forever, but... <laughs> We'd probably only be talking about one Russian revolution instead of two. Yeah. Or it would have been delayed further. I mean, there's all sorts of ways it could have gone, but it's, it's like, it doesn't change the fact that, like, Kerensky blew a perfectly good opportunity for his faction. And they all ate shit. And there's a reason he's barely remembered. Unlike Biden, who doesn't even have that kind of get out of jail free card. Like, there is no silver bullet ready to be loaded and fired in the Biden arsenal. Yeah. Like, Maybe, like, you know, blanket student debt forgiveness will slow things down a little bit, but with potentially, if the Democrats get really fucking lucky in January, a razor-thin 50-50 balance in the Senate where Joe Manchin can veto anything he doesn't like, Mm -hmm. and a smaller majority in the House where both the Blue Dogs and the squad can veto anything they don't like. Like, he has... He has he doesn't really have any easy moves. I mean, Obama was in a better position than this guy. And he didn't... Obama had a fucking mandate and blew it. <laughs> Biden, Biden has no mandate. His mandate is orange man gone. And that's... He's done that. <laughs> he's done that. That's easy. I mean, it's harder than it sounds, but in the grand scheme of things, it's easy compared to the task of, like, actually governing. Um, and he will actually try to govern, I think. It's just, there's nothing he can do about the fact that the world has moved past the need for America. Largely because America shat the bed. Yeah. And like, (laughs) let's not forget that when we're talking about this brave new multipolar world, this was not because there was some nefarious plot to drag the United States down into the darkness and destroy it, like chaired by George Soros and the fucking cultural Marxists or whatever that fucking flavor of anti-Semitism is that you're mainlining these days. Um, Mm -hmm. It was... Because, one, Bush mired America in the forever war and blew a lot of credibility while also wearing down the military's actual ability to do stuff to a nub. Two, Obama failed to capitalize on his sweeping mandate from 2008 to 2010 and act policies that actually dealt with the structural rot in the economic system and instead pissed it all away to a bunch of bad faith actors because he and his cronies had been binging way too much West Wing. And then three, this gets us to Donald fucking Trump and the Democrats being one of the most useless opposition parties with the exception of Keir Starmer. (laughs) How do you manage to be more useless than New Labour? They found a way. 
They or the 2010 Lib Dems! Or the 2010 Lib Dems! We can't play hardball to get a stimulus pass, but we can bend over to give the DHS another $20 billion after they've been caught disappearing people off the streets of America. Yep. Like... Fucking hell. If, so if, the Rebel Alliance, if, if they were running the Rebel Alliance, they would have been like, oh, we're so sorry, we stole the Death Star plans. Let's just like politely hand them back to you, and we'll release a strongly worded editorial about how the Imperial government should not be investing in planet-destroying weapons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's about the size of it. I mean, this is, this is all self-inflicted shit, and it's like... This is imperial hubris, imperial overreach, and imperial collapse. Yeah. And we're gonna go quicker than um, the Roman Empire did, I think. Like, <sighs> things move faster in this day and age. We're not going to, like, linger like the Byzantines did or some other fun bullshit. Well, like, we might simply because the United States, with even without its global empire, the United States still is a ridiculous OP power. Like, you've got a continent-spanning uh, polity that has no hostile land neighbors um is separated from potential hostile adversaries by thousands of miles of open ocean and is like stuffed with a significant decently educated population natural resources and like you know all the stuff that you know if competent people were running the show the United States would actually be a powerhouse. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, we're we're never going to be number one again. If the if the shit libs and such play their cards right, they may get to be a secondary nuclear power like uh, the Russian petrostate. Um, but in terms of like relevance. I guess it's China remains standing. (laughs) Yeah. The United States might get lucky and have the European Union say, okay, we're cool with holding your hand for a bit until you become a real country again. But yeah, that does not an empire make. And by the time... (laughs) If Biden was, you know, on his game and had the means to get the Herculean amount of labor that needs doing to fix this ramshackle mess, then the global conditions will still have moved on. Yeah. And frankly, I think the death of American empire is, it's for the best, really. It's for the best. Um, we like this country is you know it's founded on genocide and when we got to be you know empire level we 
kind of continued those policies, and now look at where we are. I mean, I I would be fine with not being an empire anymore. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's not like if anyone thinks that we're secretly standing China or something here, it's not like this means that China or the EU or someone's just going to immediately fill the gap. Like it took a specific set of circumstances for the United States to replace the British empire. And it doesn't look like anyone's going to be in a position to replace the United States in the same way. Yeah. Like the reason the U.S. is an empire is because we have so many goddamn military bases all across the world. Uh, we have essentially global coverage for our military. Our ability to project power is global, even if a lot of those capabilities are slowly rotting away, we still have them. And China China has not really developed those powers. Neither have any of the EU member states. Um, and no, the UK doesn't count. It's not like they have anything to really talk about. Uh, the French have more power projection globally than, um, than most. But even then, like... And it's not like anyone is going to be getting the opening that the U.S. did of going, yeah, we're just going to, like, snatch a bunch of these critical bases from the British and call it good. Yeah, I mean, it's like... Like, We didn't even really build that global chain of bases. We more just kind of went, hey, um, Britain, you want us to bail you out? in this world war thing, um, we're going to need some backsheesh up front. Yeah. And, you know, they made deals to get coverage everywhere else. And any new would be Imperial power is going to run into the problem that they're going to have to live down what America did. Like, people are not going to be exactly lining up to receive a European Union Army uh, military base or a Chinese military base uh, because they are going to be rightfully suspicious of any bloc that's trying for more than regional power projection. That's the world we live in. And you could argue that the rise of things like the European Union building its own army and the African Union becoming a much more cohesive body is a direct consequence of the forever war and America exerting its power militarily over the past 20 years. So those same developments that make those areas difficult for the U.S. to intervene in also make it hard for anyone else to do the same thing. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I, I guess that's it, really. Yeah, that's our last word. And with that, that was Chop Shock Economics. Reading this shit so you don't have to.
uh, go look up our Patreon, patreon.com slash chopshopeconomics. We're hoping to, in the next few weeks, hopefully, get some more Patreon content for y'all. Um, and yeah, we'll see you later. Bye, everyone. Good luck out there. <laughs>